Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Corta Líneas podcast. I'm here today with Pedro Barata, a very knowledgeable guest who could probably do this podcast in two other languages, but is giving us the privilege of sharing his expertise in English. So super excited to welcome Pedro Barata to the pod. How are you doing, Pedro? How are you, Zach? I'm pretty excited to be here. Thanks a lot for the invitation and yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. We have a ton of stuff to get into in terms of games, but I think the thing that's on most people's minds right now is the recent news from yesterday on Pedro Neto, who uh, is confirmed to miss the end of the season as well as the Euros with a knee injury. I believe the reports say he'll be back around October, September, around that time. Massive blow for Portugal. I think that he isn't the most important player, but I think that his performances this season, you know, it, it technically wasn't quite his breakout season. I think you could say that was more last year. It was definitely that this year where he just put on this incredible level of performances on a consistent basis, despite not having the best uh, goal and assist uh, numbers, you're just a player who's completely delightful and so magical to watch. And, you know, I think there's there's just a lot to appreciate about his profile. And we saw not just for Wolves, where, you know, he really became the talisman of attack uh, with, with the injuries to Raul Jimenez and, and uh, Daniel Podent, but also for Portugal, doing very well and, you know, showing why... Yeah, I think if it weren't for injury, he would be pretty much a guaranteed lock for that Portugal squad, especially given the rise of Diogo Jota, which is something we could talk about later. But in, in short, it's just a massive blow. So before we discuss where do Portugal go from here, how big of a loss is Neto's injury for Portugal? Well, yeah, I believe you have just uh, described it very, very well. It, um, it's not losing a player from the starting eleven. It's not the, the same as losing uh, Ruben Diaz or Bernardo Silva. But it's a massive blow in terms of the assemblance of the squad. Because Pedro Neto, with his capacity to create chances, to uh, do take-ons, to score and assist to be that uh, super sub that he can be. Some uh, massive loss for uh, Fernando Santos. Uh, he had a lot of competition to be in the squad from the likes of Rafa Silva, Gonçalo Guedes or, or Trincao. But uh, as you have just said, he was named in the last uh, in the last Portugal squad. Uh, he played. He, he played well. He made a couple of assists against Luxembourg, one to, to Diogo Jota and another one to João Pelinha. And uh, yes, I really believe that, as we have just said, it's not the breakout season, but it's like the season when you understand that he can be a really, really good Premier League player. He had already been linked to possible move to a team like Manchester City. And that says a lot about how highly rated he is in terms of Premier League. He had, I believe that it's five goals and five assists, which is already a, a, some, some good step. So he, he was both creating chances and uh, having some good stats, which is also an, an important thing to a winger as he is. And yes, and mostly in terms of game plan, it's uh, a loss to Franz Sanchez because it's a player that, okay, you are nil-nil against uh, Hungary and you have that player to put on a game and to give you something different than other players like Bernard Silva or João Felix that are, they are uh, preferred to play uh, at the center of the attack don't give to you. He's like a wide player and so he can give uh, lots of different things to the Portugal squad and yeah, it's a massive low for a front center and obviously to him because when you have this age, it's very important to have that continuity on your performances and you will have his short career cut for this injury. But yes, let's hope that he comes back in an even better shape. He's very much that, you know, I'm not sure how to say it in English, but agitador, you know that word? Yeah. Agitador. Um, 
I don't know, just a player who kind of will come off the bench and sort of make those the impacts. Right, right. Give that impact from the bench and against either, you know, on the counter against, you know, teams that are attacking or against compact teams. He really has that ability. Where do Portugal go from here, though? Because we saw in the last squad, which was a 25-man squad, so automatically from, from that squad, uh, Neto comes out. And so the player who I guess would be the most natural fit, not in terms of whether he'd be the best, but given the fact that he was on the last Portugal squad, there's Benfica's Rafa Silva. It was expected that Rafa would miss out on the final Euro squad because he isn't as good as Neto. Let's let's be honest. He, I, I don't think uh, any Benfica fan would say he's as good as Neto. But yeah. there's him... There's a few others. Francisco Trincao, of course, on Barcelona. Hasn't been, you know, a starter like he was at Braga. But getting a lot of minutes off the bench and uh, was very important, of course, in Portugal's perfect record in the U21 Euros group stage. So he's an option. Um, I'm not sure what the deal is in terms of FIFA, in terms of UEFA, FIFA regulations, of if Trincao can play the U21 Euros and then... You know, go, but there. I believe there is somewhat of a distance between the two, and maybe even a few days between the end of that tournament and and the start of the Euros. Anyways, uh, he's an option. Rafael Leao, another player who was included in the U21 Euros squad but missed out due to injury, he's certainly another option. Leao. I think you could also throw in Daniel Potence in the into the argument. You know, Neto's teammate at Wolves hasn't been as good as Neto, but still a very much that sort of Ajita Lord profile. Uh, I think very similar to Eden Hazard. So he gives you a lot of those similar attributes. Another player, actually, who, who I believe you can shed some light on, who we'll discuss it further, is Gonzalo Gitch, a player who, you know, came through Benfica's academy, went to Paris Saint-Germain, didn't quite have that same amount of luck, didn't quite uh, fit in, but it quickly went to Valencia, uh, did very well there, eventually got a 40 million uh, euro move, I believe. He's, he's been, you know, hot and cold, shall we say. But getting into form in recent weeks, and I think that it could be an interesting bet. I want to hear what, what you think of who, who should take Neto's place in the squad. Uh, because obviously, whoever does, it's going to be a downgrade. Not just in terms of quality, but Neto's capacity to play either on the left or the right. Uh, which is something that a lot of other players don't really have in their, in their locker. If you were Fernando Santos, uh, who would you choose to replace Neto in the squad? Well, I... I believe that you have uh, uh, painted the old picture, <laughs> uh, presented all the all the options. Uh, I believe that the tournament was tomorrow. I believe that the best option would be Rafa Silva, who is playing well. Uh, he's having a lot of minutes with Benfica. He's scoring goals. He's doing assists. Uh, he's a, an experienced player on an international level. He was at the World Cup in Brazil. He was obviously in the squad that won the, the last Heroes. So he has that experience and he's a player that Fernando Santos um, knows well. And this is also something that the, the Portugal national team uh, head coach, uh, he, it's something that is really important to him. Uh, but you said uh, a very important thing, that is uh, how uh, Gonçalo Guedes is improving his form. He had a very poor season until mid-February in Valencia, a Valencia side that is struggling with lots of financial problems and is not that Valencia competing for Champions League uh, places uh, between the, the best teams of La Liga. And until mid-February, he had a very poor season. But in the last month, to say so, uh, he's improving a lot. I think that he's, in the past five matches, he in fourth of them, he either scored or assisted. So he's improving a lot, uh, his contribution to the team. And if yes, uh, some final weeks of the season uh, at this level, I believe that is a really, really interesting um, option for Fernand Sanz because he uh, has already proven more at the international level. He's uh, always... Uh, Rafa Silva does not have some great performances for the Portuguese national team. Uh, 
uh, and Gonzalo Guedes uh, does have that kind of matches. For example, he scored the winner against uh, the Netherlands at the Nations League final. So Gonzalo Guedes has already some more proofs than Rafa Silva. So I believe that those two are the main options. Rafa Silva right now is playing better. But if Gedge uh, from here until mid-May when the, the squad is announced, I believe that if Gedge keeps improving uh, his level, he has some, uh, some chances. Regarding the other options, Pudence is not having his best season, so I believe that it's maybe a long shot. And Trinco, he's a highly rated player. Everybody knows um, his potential and his capacities, but obviously his condition of uh, not being a first option at Barcelona, it's something that plays an important role for him not being at the same level than uh, Rafa and Gedge. And let me say that between the, the Euro Under-21 final and the beginning of the Euros. There are only five days, so it's highly unlikely that a player can make both squads. So for uh, even for uh, Rafael Leão in the winter, like in December, November, January, uh, had some very good week, uh, improving his stats a lot. But in recent weeks, he was injured and he was not having that impact. He missed, as you said, the group stage of the under-21s uh, because of an injury, so he's not uh, on that level to uh, earn his first cap for Portugal. So I believe that right now the fight is between Rafa Silva and Gedge. Let's see uh, how uh, they do uh, from here until the end of the season, having in account that they are two players that Francis knows very well, and this is a very important point for uh, the Portugal national team coach. Just a question. Do you know if Leao and Jota are going to go back into the Portugal squad for the 21 years, given the fact that they were included then dropped out due to injury? Are they going to come back into the fold or are they not eligible? Or are you aware? No, they, 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 they are. If uh, Rui Jorge uh, understands that they should be in the squad, they will be. And I believe that if they are fit, both will be in the squad because they are some players that for lots of years uh, have been in uh, Portugal national youth teams and uh, their replacements at the group stage. Gosalham, Jomari didn't have a lot of impact. So I believe that if they are fit, they will be uh, on the on that squad for uh, the the knockouts of the of the tournament. I agree. I think they should be and uh, I would hope Puben Vinagre would be as well, but we can discuss yeah. that later. But anyways, I completely agree with you. I think that with Neto out, it's probably down to both Gedge and and Hafa Silva. I think that you know Trincal and Leal both very good talents, but uh, they should be with the U twenty ones. It's not like they have had the you know the most incredible season. It's not like they've done that much for the Portuguese national team. So, you know, having them in the U21 side for this kind of last Fura for the class of 99, it's not the worst thing in the world. I think it's the right decision by the yeah. Portuguese national setup. Anyways, let's move on. Talking a bit more about domestic matches. So there are quite a few I want to get into, but starting with Porto. Porto just took a 2-0 victory over Tondela rested quite a few players. They rested, uh, I believe they rested Musa Marega, Meditaremi, Sergio Oliveira, Sergio Oliveira, Chancel Mbemba. So, fair bit amount. I know that this podcast is going to be released after the Chelsea Porto match. <laughs> so, uh, this is just for posterity measures. But in the moment right now, we're just, you know, an hour or two away from, from the second leg. Do you think that Porto can, can knock out and pull off the impossible against this incredible Chelsea side. You know, this team is just going up uh, another level under Thomas Duchel. I was just watching the Palace game and they just look so... Uh, so lethal, so efficient. How do you think that Porto can shock them if, if there is a chance yeah. to shock them? No, no, it's the moment when people will have a laugh on us, on our failed <laughs> predictions. But yeah, but I, I really believe that it's really, really, really difficult because losing uh, to Neil at home it's a really, really big disadvantage and mostly uh, against a, a Tuchel side that, that has been so, so good and so, so dominant in defensive terms. Obviously, 
they had that match against West Bromwich Albion that was like an outlier because of the red card to Thiago Silva. I think that was Thiago Silva. Yep. And yes, but apart from that game, they have very, very good uh, defensive stats. I believe that in the first 14 matches or something like that, they just conceded twice. So something is something like that. And that is really impressive. And yeah, with that back three that Tuchel is using, the team is very consistent uh, in terms of defense. And yes, it's a, a really, really uh, hard task for this uh, Porto side. Obviously, they already surprised Europe for what they could do against Juventus but I think that this is another level with the um, obligation to score two or even three goals uh, well I always going to say away from home but really the match is in Seville so it's like a new um, venue so yes but it's a really really difficult uh, task uh, we would hope so that, that, that they could do it they are the, the only Portuguese side playing in UEFA competitions but it's obviously a really really difficult situation but they uh, now have uh, Taremi and Sergio Oliveira that both weren't able to play at the first leg so yeah I believe they will have the ambition to go for it. And obviously, Sergio Conceição will give them that ambition and they will obviously go and try to beat Chelsea. But it's obviously a very, very difficult task for them. Yeah, I feel kind of like a bad Portuguese football fan because I'm going to be just paying like 99.9% of my attention to the PSG match, maybe like <laughs> 0.002 to the Porto match. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, who knows? We'll see. Maybe maybe we'll be listening to this tomorrow and, and sound like uh, sound like idiots when Marega scores a hat trick in the, <laughs> to, to, to do the Lucas Mora of 2021. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. We'll see. Whatever happens, it's still a very good end to the season for Porto right now. It seemed like just a month ago, or just a few weeks ago, that the two Iberian nations, Spain and Portugal, both of those league titles had been locked up by Atletico Madrid and Sporting. Now... We don't know what's going to happen, okay? Atletico, you know, another draw, right? And it looks like Real Madrid and Barcelona, you know, despite uh, the result, both of them are making it interesting. As they say in Spain, I Liga. I guess it would be the same in Portugal, right? Tem Liga? No, Tem... Tem a Liga, A Liga. A, a Liga, A Liga, okay. In a literal translation. Uh, <laughs> a Liga, A Liga, Okay. Why is that? It's because Sporting, for the first time this season, have drawn two straight matches. Uh, took a 1-1 draw to Morenich last week with a, with a last-minute equalizer. And also, recently, Sporting taking a 1-1 draw to Famalicão on Sunday. I watched that match and it was just absolutely fantastic football. One of the highest quality matches I've seen from the Primeira this season. So I want to talk mostly about Sporting right now and talk about that game. What do you make of this, I guess, recent run of form from Sporting? Well, I believe that it's a very complicated topic because the, the first thing that, that it must be said is that for all the reasons, Sporting, he's still doing a fantastic league. They are uh, really, really above the expectations. They are a team that uh, in the past seasons, they weren't even close to, of that first place. They were out of the title race in uh, some seasons before Christmas time. So um, this season with, with, a, with a really youth squad, um, having these performances is like really above of what everyone could expect. But obviously, with the final uh, matches of season coming, obviously the team is starting to feel that pressure of going ahead and that anxiety of maybe getting the first title in 90 years because uh, Sporting is uh, one of the three giants of uh, Portuguese football, has 18 league titles, but their last uh, title was in 2002. So it's a big period for a, a, a club like the Lions. And obviously the team is feeling that pressure and some things that here you just say like uh, uh, before 
the ball always uh, rebounded at the post and went to goal and now it's going outside the goal. Uh, it's like everything that could go bad is going bad. Uh, like that last minute equalizer from uh, Murerense to um, 15 days ago. Like uh, that, uh, those chances that first Tiago Tomás and then Jovan Cabral missed against Famalicão. So those small details that in the first 22 or 23 uh, league matches always played in favor of Sporting, they are going against the team of Ruben Amorim. And it's like that inches that are, are missing because, and you have just said it, um, overall the team is still doing a lot of good things. The second half against Famalicão, uh, that is a side that improved a lot and that uh, Ivo Vieira was a really dominant second half. The team played well. Uh, against Murenense was not that good, but they dominated the, the, the whole match. The whole match. Uh, Murenense only uh, had one shot uh, on target. So the team is still doing a lot of things well, but that bit of luck, that bit of confidence that the team had uh, until uh, two weeks ago, now the team is lacking all the things and it's clearly feeling the pressure. It's a very uh, young squad. It's a squad that is not used to those title races. And obviously you feel the pressure when you were 10 points ahead and now you are only six points ahead. I believe that on a sporting player's mind, they must think that if anyone in August would tell them you'll be six points ahead in April, they would sign the, the paper and say, obviously, I want to be six points ahead because no one expected that Sporting could be on that position, Sporting side, that it was remembering on those two matches and already Paulinho up front, the striker that was signed for 60 million euros from Braga in the January transfer window. And on those two games, uh, the Portuguese international had one goal and one assist. So Sporting is not performing uh, really, really well, but Paulinho is proving their qualities and showing why Ruben Amorim uh, asked uh, his, uh, his signing to the board. Yeah, I think, like, like you said, with the ball going in and out, right, it seemed like just a few weeks ago, everything was going Sporting's way. Because, you know, if you'd watched them, this really wasn't a team that was dominating matches and, and blowing over the opponents. You know, this is a team that was pilling out narrow results. And, you know, a lot of yeah. last-minute winners, we saw that with, right, with Sebastian Coates against Santa Clara, uh, with, with so many results, just pulling it out of the scruff of the neck. Tiago Tomas against Tondela a few weeks ago. So, you know, I wouldn't say that much has changed in terms of the level of performances, but the results are definitely changing for the worst. And I, I want to also get your take on this because, you know, not only is this Sporting are still on track to win their first title in, in 19 years, right? That's a long time. That's a lot of pressure. And above all, I think that it's obviously a massive hunger for these players to pursue. But I also think that one, one thing that is that differentiates Sporting from Benfica or Porto, for example, the fact that there really aren't many winners on their team. Yeah. I don't want to say that they're you know, losers, but they don't yeah. really have much in the way of trophies. You know, Paulinho... Yeah. A Portuguese international came from Braga for, what, 18 million. He really hasn't had many trophies either, yeah. despite being a veteran. Uh, João Mario, yes, he's a European Championship winner for Portugal. In terms of club trophies, not really has much either. Obviously, these youngsters, and including a lot of veterans such as Sebastian Coates, Antonio Adan may have won a trophy or two when he was backing up Casillas at Real Madrid, but... I, I don't remember him playing an important role for either. So, you know, in general, I think this is something that's kind of foreign to a lot of these players. And I think that's something that will play a role. I think that that's also part of the reason why Amorim decided to bring in some veterans such as João Pereira and Victorino Antunes to give that Definitely. kind of experience in the locker room. But I do think that that will play a role. How, how important do you think that's going to be, the lack of real winners with you know, this experience of, of winning championships? Not just winning, but just being in a title race, yeah. right? Because it's been a while since Sporting 
uh, were in a title race, right? It's been five years since George Jesus's sporting, you know, we're pushing Benfica for that title. So it's been quite a few years. Uh, how, how important is that lack of winners going to be for sporting? Yes, you you have just uh, said that um, some minutes ago. I said that Sporting uh, weren't used uh, winning a league titles. It's not that. It's just Sporting is not used competing for league titles. I mean, since that uh, 2002 league championship, maybe the team competed for the title until the end in three, four times maximum. I mean. They are not even used to, to be in that race. And yesterday I read um, a tweet from a sporting fan that said like, oh, you are nervous and feeling anxiety now. Welcome. This is what we wanted. I mean, we wanted to be in these positions. It's better feeling this uh, now than being fourth place competing for Europa League football as the team was um, used in past seasons. And yes, uh, it's really interesting what you said in, in terms of the squad selection because uh, Luis Lipiera, Benfica's president, he said lots of times when Benfica were champions uh, fourth times in a row, 2014, 15, 16 and 17, that they had that concern of keeping some senior players that could teach what was winning titles and what was having those title races. And so that was the reason why Benfica always kept Jardel or Luizão or Salvi or Samaris, all those players that uh, that knew what was necessary to win those title races. And it's crystal clear that Sporting this season had that concern. I mean, uh, the signings of João Pereira or Antunes uh, are for dressing room issue and not to be on the starting 11. But still, it's different the players that are on the bench and the players that, that play and you see the players that use to play and even the, the players that are not youngsters. I mean, Fedal is an experienced defender, but he played in Betis or in Alavés. Coates, we have just mentioned it. In Sunderland, obviously, he didn't compete for the Premier League and in Sporting, is is used to compete for the, for the League 2. Pelinha is already 26 years old, I believe, and was at Braga. That that uh, is neither in this position. João Mario, the same. Paulinho, the same. Not to mention the likes of Pedro Gonçalves, Nuno Mendes, Pedro Corro, that are youngsters. But even among what you, you would call the senior players, you don't have those players used to be in this position and when you compare it to Benfica and Porto it's a very very uh, big difference and even for uh, Ruben Amorim that as a uh, manager he also is learning the job to say so he's always learning how it is to lead a group uh, on these circumstances so this plays a really important role and I believe that Sporting are in that period of the season that it is important to invert this dynamic, no? So win the next match again, I believe that is Bulnes shots to not enter this series of draws and you start feeling the pressure and start getting like in those anxiety circle that you must break this circle of uh, bad results and win as soon as possible to uh, regain some confidence to this squad that, uh, like we are talking about, is not that experienced and needs to, to feed them with results to improve their mental situation in the context of a title race. Yeah, if Sporting win the title with João Pereira being older than Ruben Mabarim and, and picking up more yellow cards than, than minutes yeah. play, that, that automatically becomes one of my favorite signings of all time in Portuguese history. And just to add, if anybody wants to take a look at a really good clear-cut uh, in-depth analysis of Ruben Mabarim's Sporting, definitely check out Pedro Carvalho's uh, article on breaking the lines on Sporting. It's a, really a must-read, so I highly recommend that. Uh, Sporting, they play Ferenc next uh, on, okay, on okay. Friday. I think they may be playing Bilinic after before facing off at Braga, which is going to yeah. be an absolutely massive match. But going to Ferenc on Friday, and, and I wanted to get your take. Do you think that Amarim changes things up? You know, we'd seen in recent weeks... Amorim switching to that 3-4-3 diamond, right? I think we saw that with, yeah. with Vitoria, De Guimaraes, as well as Morirench. 
But reverting back to the flat 3-4-3 against Famalicão, somewhat switching it up with uh, with the second half subs. What what do you think we'll see against Serge? Well, I believe that um, uh, Sporting reached the point like a month ago or something like that that the, that the team was struggling a lot to create chances. The team uh, had in the first four or five months of the season a really clear pattern of game and started to become predictable to their opponents. And uh, Ruben Amorim admitted that and said, okay, I need to give my sides different things uh, in order to improve our uh, creation of, uh, of goal-scoring opportunities. And so from that point, he started to change some things, that diamond on the, on the midfield, putting Bragança near João Mario or Pedro Gonçalves to have some more creativity, uh, obviously the inclusion of Paulinho after his injury, uh, playing with both Tiago Tomás and Paulinho up front, so he's starting to move things in order to uh, have some more goal scoring opportunity. Against Famalicão he introduced some, something new that was João Mario more in the role of Pedro Gonçalves on that left hand side and Pedro Gonçalves more on the role uh, that uses to be uh, João Mário's close to Palinha. It went well uh, in what concerns to Pedro Gonçalves, that is more a midfielder than an, uh, a striker, but João Mário obviously had some difficulties playing wide and uh, on the final meters of the pitch. Uh, now, uh, in terms of playing against Ferenc, I believe that Ruben Amorim will have some doubts because some of the players that from the start of the season uh, had a really, really good performances, they are starting to struggling and to lower a bit their performances. The likes of Fedal, of Pedro Porro, they are starting to not be always so, so good. And he might have the intention of rotating a bit the squad. There are some players that in the last month didn't have uh, the same amount of units that they used to have, like Nuno Santos that was always in the starting 11 and he kind of disappeared. Mateus Nunes also is having some uh, is, is having less minutes also because of the contribution of Daniel Bragança. So let's see how he moves the pieces. Having account also that Ferenc is a very physical side under Jorge Costa, they might play some direct football and you will need some strong defenders and having that in mind, maybe Fedal will keep his place in the starting 11. But uh, in terms of the offensive side, I believe that he will keep uh, Paulinho and maybe take Thiago Tomás because he's not having, he didn't have two great uh, matches. And let's see if uh, he gives an opportunity to Jovan Cabral that last match had like a, a half an hour on the pitch. He uh, comes back, uh, Nuno Santos, to their first choices or if he goes for an option like Daniel Bregance to have more creativity, uh, then yeah, let's wait and see. But I believe that Nunsant may reappear at the starting eleven if he's fit, because he had an, a small injury like uh, two weeks ago, and maybe he's not uh, yet on his best uh, physical condition. Right, I think it was a car accident that he got into. Yeah. Um, what, yeah. Do you have do you have any concerns about Paulinho's entrance into the starting lineup messing up the dynamics? I know there are, there have been some Sportingistas who have been a bit concerned with that, which I find, you know, I, I can see that too because he wasn't that good against Malaykal, but who was arguably the best player on the pitch against Monterrey, right? Got a, you know, opened the scoring, I believe, and, and then could have had a goal, but it was ruled offside by Pote, not not by not by him. So. You know, I, I I don't know. I think there's there's definitely two sides to it, but I also don't think that there's an argument to be made right now that Tiago Tomas is doing better than Paulinho. You know, I don't think that you could argue that just because Sporting were winning games when Tiago Tomas was in the lineup and now they have drawn two in a row. I, I don't know if, if you can make that argument, especially given the fact that he squandered 
that great chance in the dying minutes that Paulinho is that she should be dropped back with uh, Tomas coming in. Definitely for for Nuno Santos though, I could I could see that coming back in against Farench, right, hitting them with that direct style of play. And Fedal, you mentioned Fedal and uh, I believe Pedro Pojo, two players who they've done very well. But in recent weeks, yeah, you have started to see that decline. Maybe Luis Neto comes in. We did also see Eduardo Quaresma get some minutes against Fumalico, but I, I don't think that he would be starting over Neto or Fedal. And uh, we also, I think that Mateus Nunes could could be used yeah. again in that right wing back role that we saw in a few weeks prior with Pojo, I believe, suspended. So it, it'll be interesting to see how they shape up things against Fainz. I want to talk about the other side of that game, though, that I want to talk now, not about Sporting, but about Fumalico. Malico, what a what a ridiculously crazy two years it has been for this club. Get promotion for the first time in what twenty two years or something. Fire their coach. Bring in Marco Silva's old assistant, or longtime assistant, Joao Pedro Souza. You know, get start off as the number one team in the league. Barely miss out on Europa League football in the final day. Uh, of the season just with a last second equalizer again against Moreirense I believe right both Sporting yeah. and, and Famalicao with, with the Moreirense equalizers and then you know obviously losing a ton of key players such as Pedro Goncalves of course such as uh, Alex Sintes, uh, Uros Racic, Tony Martinez uh, find themselves in a relegation fight, sack Jean Pedro Souza, bring in Silas, sack Silas after, what, six games in charge, now with Ivo Vieira, and it's just a completely different world. I don't even know if you can call them in a relegation fight, because it just seems like not only are they pretty safe right now, I mean, still close to the bottom three, but playing some of the best football in Portugal right now, and, I mean, when you look at that squad... That's that seems like it's a top seven squad in Portugal, right? So let's just talk and take a minute to acknowledge the absolute craziness of this Famalicao team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was absolutely crazy that they were um, in the last position of the league. They they were really really struggling with a side that you have to say, okay, they lost a lots of players from uh, last season to this season, but they kept having a very good squad. And with the January addictions, they uh, got with the top seven, top six squad easily. They have really, really good players. And it's really amazing how they are, how they underperformed for most of the season. And yeah, now they, they look the side that we uh, that we all thought that they should be, but even so, they're only I believe two or three points above of the relegation uh, places. So that also uh, show how uh, things are in the fighting for the for, to avoid uh, relegation with lots of teams uh, there uh, competing to avoid that uh, that uh, that relegation. And yes, with uh, Ivo Vieira. They have a, a much clearer way of, of playing and our tactical approach. They are uh, extracting the best of players like Pepe, of Manuel Ugarte, the player from Uruguay. That uh, he's having a, a really good uh, impact. They formed a really good uh, midfield with Gustavo Assunção against the Sporting. He, he, even Jaime, the, the Spanish youngster, had also a very, very good match at Alvalade, a player from, I believe, 20 or 21 years old. And yeah, so obviously they have, they also have some good options uh, on the bench, like Heriberto and Ivo Rodrigues. I mean, it's a really good side. It's a, a squad that, I mean, it's only clearly worse than uh, Braga Sporting, Porto and Benfica. And yes, I believe that the the natural way of the things is that they uh, will come up in the in the in the table. Think, and yes, do you think I, this I also, team is better than Passos or Vitoria? I believe that in terms of the of the quality of the players, is way better than Passos, obviously. 
I really believe that it's better than than passes. And Vittori, it could be close. Maybe Vittori would be a better team for the likes of, of Marcus Edwards, for example, Rochinha, even Ricardo Quaresma. But yet, it's, it could be a, a, close, a close thing. Um, but yes, I also forgot mentioning Ruben Vinagre that looked like a really good prospect at Wolves. Uh, strangely, he went to Olympiacos. In Olympiacos, he didn't play. And yes, now he's showing uh, his best football again, showing that he's a left back that can go forward with lots of quality. Uh, strangely, he got dropped off that uh, under-21 squad that um, didn't have... Uh, a left back with four, four right backs though <laughs> yeah yeah it was a, a strange thing <laughs> obviously when when you win nobody talks about that oh, but yeah, it, it was a bit strange but obviously Ruben Vinagre is another of the players um, that family can have in their squad that is showing that he's really really uh, able to compete in a higher level he was already linked with summer moves to the both Sporting and Benfica both Lisbon Giants and yes it's a team full of quality full of young talent and I believe that in those final uh, eight matches of the season they will be really fun to watch despite that they are uh, not saved yet from that relegation uh, fight yeah I, I can I can see why people dislike Famalico because for a mid-table club, they are of a higher uh, economic pedigree, right? Yeah. They, but it also isn't like they're pulling a Leipzig, right? They are bringing right links with, with George Mendes. Uh, but a lot of clubs in Portugal do that. You know, it's not illegal to do that. And also, they do their, they do their homework on these young players from really all over the world to get a guy like Manuel Ugarte from, I believe it was Phoenix in, Phoenix, in yeah. Uruguay uh, and, and get him for, what, 3 million euros. Like, that is a guy who who could go to Benfica for 20 million in the summer. Like, I'm not saying he will, but looking at that midfield battle, really last, I mean, I thought that he he completely dominated Palinha and I think that the, the midfield battle between him and Braganza such a fantastic watch. Two players with such potential. Um, yeah, and just a player who I think will go very far. Uh, what do you think about both Ugarte and Asunsa? Because I know that there was a lot of people who were, thinking, who were saying, you know, uh, they, that given the fact that Asunsa was really probably the best player on that, on that Famalico team that didn't get a move, they were expecting a move this summer. Somewhat of a drop in form with Famalico also suffering the results. But I think since Ivo Vieira's arrival, we saw that against Braga, right? Putting in an incredible display there uh, against some top midfielders. Saw that really in the past few weeks under Vieira, he is, uh, Asunso is, is establishing himself as he's, he's reestablishing himself as one of those really promising midfielders in Portugal. Uh, talk to me both about Asunso as well as Ugarte. Yeah, I mean, it's normal when the team is struggling, players can shine the same way. And unless there you are uh, a world star that uh, he's able to prove and is able to make an impact on the matches despite uh, of having a, a, a poor side, a player like Gustavo Assunção, like that defensive midfield, uh, he obviously will have uh, his performances linked to the overall uh, quality of the team. And the team uh, was struggling a lot during that um, the, those first initial month of the season, and he he suffered that. But when um, when Ivo Vieira took charge of the team. Uh, his uh, performances uh, came back to what we were expecting and what we have already seen last year. He's, he has some similarities with his father, with Paulo Assunção, that played uh, in uh, Porto and you know, like 15 years ago. We also uh, had some season at Atletico de Madrid in La Liga. He's, uh, he, he's uh, really, really good in, uh, in uh, defensive terms. He can uh, steal balls. He can uh, recover lots of balls and fill 
that space that played ahead of the defensive line. And yes, he's really, really, uh, he's highly rated uh, in, the, in the Portuguese market. He was already linked to move to Benfica, to Atlético de Madrid. And yes, uh, and mainly against Braga, he, he had a, a top, top uh, performances. Uh, and Ugarte shows so two things. First, yes, that uh, market capacity that Famalicão has, that good scouting that they have, but also a different approach from last year. Because last year, uh, for example, um, Alex Centeios was on loan from Valencia, Urus Rasic was on loan from Valencia, Fabio Martins was on loan from uh, Braga, and obviously when you have lots of players on your starting 11 on loan, you are not in a good position because they will leave next season uh, or the, the following season. And Ugarte is a different approach because you do the financial effort for the player, but the player is yours and you have stability. And Ugarte is proving that he's worth the money. It was a really, really good deal for uh, Famalicão. And yes, Silas said in an interview last week that he had everything. He's really good uh, in terms of the defense. He's uh, really clever. His tactical knowledge of the game is way ahead of a player um, of his age. And as I'm sure you have just mentioned, that maybe you'll only uh, spend six months in the beautiful uh, village of Villanova de Famalicão because I'm sure that you will live family coming the summer also already linked to a move to Benfica and I would I would say that it's the, the prototype of the kind of deal that Benfica can do with this kind of club so Ugarte is one of the breakout players from this second uh, part of the season in Primera Liga it's a shame we'll only get to see Ugarte and uh, Asuncao likely for a few months, as well as Vinagre, who of course will return from his loan. Uh, been so good. But the, uh, at the end of the day, the biggest goal was to survive the drop. And with these two January signings, Vinagre and Ugarte, they are going to do that. And above all, they can now build on a platform. I think that one thing that they will learn as, as a mistake that they committed, maybe not a mistake, but, but something that I think off-railed them a bit was, was having so many loanies. You know, I think that by focusing on, obviously not, not canceling all their loans, but by focusing on more permanent deals, I think that you would get a lot less st- instability and a lot less of that sharp drop in form. And, yeah, but above all, I, th- I think that Famalicão are a very promising project. And we need more of those in Portugal. We need more of those long-term projects uh, that are you know, focusing on the long-term rather than just short-term results. So yeah, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Fama. But yeah, overall, so many promising young players who thankfully are on permanent deals, right? I believe Ivan Jaime is another one. And yeah, a lot of those. Diego Queiroz, who, you know, hasn't been playing much, but I think that we you know will eventually get his, his spot in defense back because he is a talented center back. It's it's a very nice project and I, I like them. I like what I'm seeing of them a lot. But moving on to some of the other bigger clubs in Portugal, uh, we saw Braga take a 1-1 draw against Belenich Sad. Uh, I don't know if you caught that. I thought that Braga, they, they were good, but uh, they seemed a bit too predictable. And I think that one of part of part of that was not having a Paulinho or a Trincao in the final third. I think that's despite Braga's, you know, really impressive season in the general scope, I think that that's been their biggest Achilles heel under Carlos Carvalhal, right? It's having not just in terms of individuals, but just kind of, I guess, being too predictable in the final third, right? Just sending it out wide for uh, one of the wingbacks, uh, Ricardo Escayo or Anderson uh, Galeno to, to cross. And, you know, overall not having that same sort of presence with, with other players that, that you would get with Trincao or, or Paulinho. What do you think Braga needs to improve to take that next step under Carvalhal? Yeah, obviously Braga is not at their best moment of the season. They already had um, moments when they, they shine more. I believe it was a curious thing that um, in January and February, I believe that wasn't given enough attention to the drop of quality that 
in a, a small period of, of time, Braga had, but in like two or three weeks, Braga lost Yuri Medeiros uh, due to an injury until the rest of the season. David Carmo due to an injury until the rest of the season. Paulinho sold to Sporting. And André Castro and Sequeira with injuries that are making them being out of the squad for lots of weeks. So in the space of like two weeks, they lost five really important players and three of them, they are not having them more this season because Paulinho is at Sporting and Carmo and Medeiros will not play more. And I think that people didn't highlight that uh, enough because the quality dropped. Obviously, they got Lucas Piazon, who was a really, really good deal from Hiwav and he had an instant impact. But the rest of the squad is individually worse than it was because Borja is worse than Skyrim and, and so on. So I believe this is the, is the main reason. They, uh, their individual quality is worse. And yeah, there are some players that aren't like shining as they were. Ricardo Huerta used to be a really regular goal scoring and he's not doing so. He has only one goal in the last, I, I believe, that's six matches. Uh, he dropped his contribution. Uh, Abel Ruiz had some really good weeks, but in the Euros and the 21 with Spain, he played well but didn't score. And I believe that he came back with the, not the same level of confidence. Uh, Sporar got the winner against Ferenc, but... He's not a really, really the goal scorer. He's, not, he's like a player with all other qualities, but he's not a, a, a player that can guarantee you lots of goals. So Gaetan was in the starting 11 in the last match, but we know that he's already in a different moment of uh, his career. Galeno isn't creating as much chances as he was in October, n- November with the great uh, Europa League. Uh, groups uh, stage for the Brazilian uh, winger. So I believe there's lots of reasons, reasons that also um, uh, make us remember that Braga isn't on the same level as the three uh, traditional giants, both in terms of squad capacity and financial capacity to have uh, 22 or 24 uh, squad with the same quality patterns. So I believe they are, they are suffering from that. And obviously, I believe that it was a baller who had a piece today with lots of stats that showed that Praga is dropping in lots of, um, lots of key statistical points in the last months or so. And yes, Carvalhal will have some headaches to improve his squad, but obviously he's still uh, on, the, uh, on the possibility of having a great season because uh, Braga can still have a top three uh, place and mainly they have the cup final, the final de Taça de Portugal. And obviously, if they win that, it will be an, uh, a great, great season for uh, the team of Braga. Absolutely, completely agree. Um, I think that, right, I believe Sporar is on loan from Sporting. Yes, uh, there may be a purchase option. I'm not sure about that. Aldo yeah. Ruiz, obviously another player who's talented but hasn't had that quite that same goal scoring quality I think that Braga I think that they will be looking to get some of those talented uh, players who are currently playing in the bottom half teams uh, of Liga Noche I think that that's a unique advantage that Braga has in that you know so many of these players Mateus Pereira um Luka Jovic, you know, players who don't really get much opportunities in the top three, Ostreskanj, but uh, end up, you know, doing incredible things. I think that Braga have, have that unique opportunity in that they, they regularly play in Europe. And I think that they're probably more consistent in terms of providing those opportunities. Obviously, they've had their, you know, their ones that got away with Pedro Neto and, and other players. But... Uh, go. Right, Trincao. But in general, they're a team that is a very well-run club and that is such phenomenal recruitment, right? Getting Almushrati on the free transfer. Um, Getting Andre Castro on the free transfer was a good move and probably would have been regarded with more... I guess, more more acclaim had he not gotten injured. But I, I think that they will be looking for a player such as Ryan Gauld, 
who is going to be facing off against against Sporting um, on Friday. Because I think that Gauld, right, his contract expires in the summer. The possibility of him going to a different, going to a, you know, going back to Scotland, going to maybe MLS, going to England, I don't know. But I think that the best move for his career, without a doubt, would be staying in Portugal. I think that Braga would be a perfect move for him because he could really be that X factor and just take the next step of his career at Braga. So I think that would be a, a really nice move, especially on a free transfer. They, it could be another Almusrati deal. But I do think that Borar, despite the fact that he does have some technical qualities, which we saw um, in, in Braga's lone goal against Belenich, I, I also think that he isn't quite the, the right fit for this Braga team. You know, he isn't that like aerial dominant striker with such a consistent goal scoring product. I'm not sure if they're going to, maybe they decide to get him on a cheap deal from Sporting, but I think they need someone better personally. I wanted to get your take on what you think about Beto potentially joining Braga because I, you know, he just scored another goal for Portimonense on the weekend, I believe against Vitoria de Guimaraes, a player who we've talked about a lot on the pod and a player who I think could provide an X factor to Braga. Some concerns about his technical ability, but a player who is just in complete, just skyrocketing his form and who I think could could land Braga another massive profit if if they do decide to to buy him. Who who would be your choice for that center forward position? Would it be Sporar? Would it be uh, Beto? Would it be someone else? What do you think Braga needs right now in the final third? Well, uh, I believe that the the best version of Abel Ruiz could be a really really interesting player for them. We saw that in in February, March, when Paulinho left, and he had that confidence, and he scored goals, and he and he played well. But obviously, they need another uh, another option. Uh, Spora is not having a great half season there on his loan period, uh, and yeah, Beto is an interesting case because two years ago uh, he wasn't even uh, in a professional team. He played at Olympic do Montijo, and so he's a player that he didn't here in 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 Portugal. We are used that lots of players in all the Primeira Liga sides they had a pass on one of the top academies on of uh, the country and uh, Sporting Benfica and. Uh, Porto fit lots of, of clubs with the players that aren't that good to make into the first team, but can be really, really good options for another clubs. And Beto, he's like a, a, a stranger on this logic because he wasn't even playing uh, professionally until really um, uh, like two or, or, or three years ago. As you said, he lacks some... Uh, technical sharpness, he lacked some some things in terms of understanding some moments of the game. But he he gave a couple of interviews last week, and he's a humble guy, and he acknowledges that he needs to improve. He knows that he needs to understand better the game and to complete that formation that he didn't uh, have uh, at the top academy in one of the uh, football giants in Portugal. So I believe it could be a good option for, for Braga, uh, mainly because he's very different from, from what a player like Abel Ruiz can offer, because he's more aggressive, he purchases the goal scoring opportunities with more, uh, with, in a different way, he's more dominant in duels, more dominant uh, uh, on aerial uh, balls, he can, he can add some he, in terms of shooting, he also is a different player uh, from Abel Ruiz and can uh, it can be a dominant presence uh, in the in the penalty box, which is uh, something that neither Abel Ruiz or Spora have. Uh, are they are players that Abel Ruiz more like a, a technically gifted player, Spora a player who prefers to have some more space to run, and yes, Beto can uh, give them that aggression, that aggressivity in the in the final third that sometimes they are lacking and that they are lacking when they face teams like um, like Gulen Saad last, uh, mm-hmm. last weekend. So yes, Betu will obviously be one of the names of the transfer market in, uh, in Portugal. And yes, let's see 
also how Braga will assemble the squad towards next season, maybe because there are lots of, of doubts. Braga always have a very, um, a very busy uh, summer market, so let's see what their options are. Absolutely, we will see. Uh, I want to move on now to our weekly Talent of the Week section where we discuss a player uh, who's either playing in Portugal or uh, is involved in the Portuguese national setup um, who is impressing. So who is going to be your Talent of the Week, Pedro? We mentioned a, a few candidates. I mean, Robin Vinagre could be it, Beto could be it, but I would like to mention a name that we didn't touch. So uh, let me let me see, let me see. Well, for example, Flip Swatch from Murenense, a player that was in uh, the Euro uh, under-21 squad, a midfielder, uh, who was uh, with an, um, Benfica's academy graduates. And he's now uh, on Murenense, a midfielder that is uh, performing really well. Murenense is also improving their quality in the last performances in the in the last weeks under Vasco uh, Siabre. And yes, he's a technically gifted player, a player uh, really, really clever. He can lead the pressure. He is good both with and without the ball. Um, he has some qualities of that kind of midfielders that Portuguese football can produce. They are very complete in that João Moutinho style of uh, clever midfielders. And yes, it's a player that I really, really like. Didn't have a week like Beto, for example, but yes, to highlight a different players, a different player. Uh, Flip Suarez is a, an end that I'm, I'm really fond of. We've talked about Felipe Lout on the pod. I mean, he's a very talented midfielder. Uh, I believe came from Benfica Seychelles Academy, then went to Estoril, yeah. uh, now at Marrench, and could definitely be primed for a big move. I think that it says a ton about Portugal's midfield quality that he's he was what the fifth choice uh, midfielder on on the U twenty one in the U twenty one year. Less, less, even maybe, less. Maybe sixth choice. Like I think he yeah. played what. I don't even know if he played. Um, he, but, he played in the last game when right. everything was already decided right, right, in those right. final right. minutes against <laughs> uh, Switzerland. Yeah, a very impressive player who I think will get a move from what an interesting because I think he's very similar to... I think a bit of Frankie de Jong in him, honestly, in terms of being able to drive forward and you know getting into the final third. Um, I think he's a very interesting player. Anyways, uh, my talent of the week. Can I just go with the entire Famalicao team? Is is that or is that <laughs> is that illegal? Um, <laughs> you you make the the rules. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I've already put Vinagre as my talent, but uh, if I have, I'm gonna go with Ugarte because what a player! He just impressed me so much um, against against Sporting and I think that overall I think I think Malika were the better side it was balanced it was a lot more balanced in the second half and you know I was also considering uh, putting Ivan Jaime because Ivan Jaime because despite his his error in the in the Sporting goal in in Pedro Gonçalves goal he he had a very good game Uh, but I think Ugarte actually impressed me the most out of this entire Mm -hmm. Malika team just his ability to close down spaces find players with his passes, uh, just a complete midfield display. I think this is a yeah. player who is incredibly gifted, both technically and physically, and who I think that will, you know, I think that he's on track to become a starter for Uruguay one day uh, in the near future. I mean, when you look at players such as, you know, Rodrigo Bentancourt not having the greatest season at Juventus, Lucas Torreira, another season where he isn't playing much. You know, I, I think that, yes, there's a ton of competition ahead of him, but it's not as crazy as it seems for him, right, in, after just a few months in Portugal, for us to be talking about him being a potential starter uh, for La Celeste. So... I think that he's just a massive prospect who I really wouldn't be surprised to get him, see him get a big move, uh, potentially to Benfica. I don't know. Um, what do you think of Ugarte? And do you think he's he, he'd be destined? He's destined for a big move this summer or no? Yeah, yeah. Um, I really believe that uh, he's the the kind of deal that 
Benfica uh, uh, usually does. And, and yeah, you mentioned the, uh, the uh, Uruguayan national team and is one of the other names that you, uh, in this uh, next generation of Uruguay football, that will or is replacing uh, the likes of Suarez and Cavani and Godin and is like in line with those uh, Brian Rodriguez and Betancourt and Fede Valverde. So uh, I remember that like three or four years ago, people always um, were wondering, oh, when those Cavani's and Suarez uh, retire, what will be of Uruguay? And obviously they will not have two of the best six or, or seven uh, strikers in the world, but they have lots of talent and they are uh, having those midfielders that they didn't have in the past generation when they always played with like the Garganos and Diego Perez uh, at the center of the midfield. Now they are producing those different uh, central midfields and Ugarte is one of them. And I really, really believe that he can be one of that players that Uh, has lots of years ahead of him um, in uh, La Celeste, as you said. And yeah, let's see. But I really, really believe that he will move out uh, Famalicão uh, this summer and will prove Famalicão right because I believe that they will uh, have a, a really, really good profit uh, if we consider that they paid uh, 3 million euros uh, for the young Uruguayan. Yep, Ugarte absolutely red hot in Portugal right now. Uh, hopefully, his compatriot Darwin Nunes can join him sometime soon. But uh, we'll 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 see about Darwin. But overall, thank you so much, Pedro, for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, where can the people find you? Where on the, on the Twitter with uh, uh, P Barat ninety five. So I believe that it's not that uh, difficult <laughs> to find. So <laughs> there you have it. O geração do 95, não? <laughs> That's it. The, the, the same as the Francisco Geraldo, for example. And, jo and João Pelinha. The João Pelinha. Maybe we'll have a Geraldo Pelinha Barata midfield trio in the <laughs> <Yeah>. near future. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Thank you so much again, Pedro, for coming on. And I hope to have you on again soon. I hope we can work together soon. Uh, absolute pleasure to have a massive source of knowledge like yours uh, on the Cortalinas podcast. Thank you to everybody for coming on. Uh, we will be back again next week. And make sure to stay tuned for more Portuguese football content on BTL.